Hi, and welcome. I'm Jim Fries, and this is The Conversation, a podcast airing viewpoints on the impact of artificial intelligence on business and society. On today's episode, we're doing something a bit different. I'll be speaking with Dr. Susan Hurot, renowned speech technology expert and director of conversational design services at the company I work for, Interactions. From academia to entrepreneurship to consulting, Susan has been deeply entrenched in the linguistics field for over 35 years, working closely with both businesses and consumers to understand and build conversational experiences. Today, she'll give us the full download on how AI-based speech technology has evolved over time, why and how businesses can incorporate user behavior and feedback into conversation design, and what a truly conversational experience looks like. Susan, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. Over four seasons, you're the first Interactions co-worker that we've had on a conversation. That's amazing, Jim. Thank you so much. I am I am super excited to be here and chat with you. Well, I'm super excited to have a um, fellow Interactions employee on the conversation. So you've had a pretty impressive career in speech technology and conversation design, working with businesses to help them better communicate with their customers. Not to mention, like me, you're also a graduate of the Ohio State University. So can you, can you walk us through your experiences and what drew you to Interactions? Sure, um, I, I'd be happy to do that. I'll try to give you the, the short version. So I actually have been kind of obsessed with speech technologies for as long as I can remember. I actually read an article about computer speech recognition when I was still in high school. And I wrote away to MIT. Um, this was when you had to write a physical letter to get them to send you a paper. And they sent me a bunch of stuff. And I was like, wow, I understand these individual words, but I have no idea what it means. And it's, except that it was the coolest thing I'd ever heard of. And that eventually led me to um, to getting a degree in linguistics. So unlike unlike a lot of linguists, I didn't do it from pure love of language, but because I always had this eye on conversational technologies. So I spent, uh, you know, spent some time there in academia. I spent some time after that at, at Lucent Bell Labs, which is Academia Light. And, you know, since then, I've been so fortunate to be able to um, make a living as a linguist, of all things, working with these technologies that I am still super excited about. That's fantastic. And, and obviously, the speech technology industry has really evolved tremendously over the last decade, from IVRs to chatbots to virtual assistants. Can you walk us through these changes and how it is you know, involved in what we have today? Sure. Speech technologies that have been commercially available, right? Ones that have been ready for prime time so that organizations can use it to communicate with their customers. They have indeed come a really long way. Um, we used to only have the ability to do um, very limited kinds of recognition where to build a customer service application, what we had to do was basically instruct the caller, here are the words that you can say. And then we would have to, in the application, code up and say, listen for this set of words. And we're anything all very familiar with that, aren't we? Absolutely. You can say A, B, or C. And anything you know that fell too far outside of that was just treated as, as a no match, something that we had no idea how to deal with. Um, and yes, we progressed over time so that um, if, if the user said, I want the balance on my account, 
instead of my account balance, you know, you eventually, we eventually got a little better, but it was really constrained. And so, so the name of the game in conversation design back then was how to bring the user in and ask questions so that they would give us exactly the set of responses that we were expecting, because otherwise we couldn't help them. And now, of course, um, we've entered this brave new world where um, we really have the ability to let users speak to us however they choose. They can describe their issues in their own words. And we now, through, through the amazing natural language technologies that we have, we are able to understand not just what they're saying, but what they mean, and then take that to use to provide them with, I think, a really superior kind of service. There's no doubt about it that where does the industry still fall short and what steps should we take to move towards better conversation design? That's, That's a really good question. I think that some of the big failings are really because of a failure to understand how conversation between two human beings actually works. So when I say conversation, I'm not talking about a lack of natural language processing abilities, because it's not language I'm talking about, but how we as people use language to get stuff done in the real world. And, And to be honest, Jim, not a lot of linguists actually spend a ton of time studying conversations. So linguistics tends to be concerned with what you know, when you are a native speaker of a language. But conversation is not just what you know, it's about how you interact with someone else. And I think that's a big gap in the entire field is that there's not a lot of people who have spent a lot of time understanding how human conversations work. Actually, I think it probably has had an impact on um, how you view things from a philosophy perspective. And what I mean by that is you're a big proponent of working with users to better understand how they want to communicate with companies. Can, can you talk about that process and what steps businesses should take to, to incorporate that user design concept into, into communications and their strategy? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, just jump in here and stop me because as I'm sure you know, Jim, this is like my very favorite thing to talk about. I know, I know. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's important. It's very important. It is. And, you know, here's the thing. User research as a concept, it, it is not anything that is specific to conversation. It's certainly nothing that I came up with. Uh, and and when, you, when you talk about what does it mean to do user research, it sounds deceptively simple, right? Um, oh, we're trying to build an application that lets users do this certain set of things. How do we know if it works? Well, you recruit a set of representative users to interact with a realistic version of an application. And then you observe what they do and ask them what they think about it. I mean, that that's the kind of idea that underlies a user-centric design practice. But it also is something that like, you know, you could it passes the grandma test. You could explain to just about anyone that we want to know if this works for users. So we ask them to try it and tell us what they think. Right. So so it sounds so basic, but the kinds of insights that you can get out of that are are tremendous. And it's really there, the combination of observing what people do 
when they're interacting with an application, and then that ability to say, hey, what were you thinking when that happened? That's what gives you the true power. Um, there's lots of ways of observing what users do, right? Every organization collects some kind of data about how people are interacting with applications. But the problem there is you can see patterns sometimes, but you don't necessarily know what they mean, what was the user's motivation, what was going on in their head when it happened. And so that's the beauty of, of usability testing is we can see stuff happen and ask people about it. So by getting that, that opinion feedback, what we're able to do is prioritize the kinds of, of observations that we're making in terms of how people interact. It's only through that prioritization based on how much it matters to the end user that, that we're then able to go back and say, yes, this is something that we will definitely fix. This is a nice to have, and this is a next release when we're able. You know, we'll make this optimization. So it's 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 a super powerful set of tools that, again, on the face of it, seems really simple. No, you're right. You know, it, it does seem really simple, but in products we interact with on a, on a daily basis, it becomes pretty obvious when that kind of a process of involving users has, hasn't been done. I think about my, my, my favorite experiences with this is, I don't know, it's like 10 years ago, I'm in a rental car and I'm looking for a button inside the car to open the trunk. I couldn't find it. It wasn't in all the logical places and it ended up, it was in the glove box. And I'm like, who, who thought that was a logical place? You know, it was pretty clear that no user was ever involved in that decision. So, I mean, I, I, I think what you're talking about, applying that, you know, that those concepts to design, I think is really important. And I'm sure there are, are times that you've done usability testing and been really surprised by the results. It, that happens every single time, Jim. Every single time. Um, you know, I have run hundreds of tests with thousands of participants over my career. I stopped counting at around 1,500 participants. And never once at the end of a usability test did I say, eh, you know, that time might have been better spent doing something else. We always learn something. Because here's the thing. no matter how expert your designers are when they're building an application, no matter what best practices you follow, no matter how much you understand about an organization, you're not the end user as the designer. Any of us who are involved in building these experiences, we know too much. We can't, in some ways, think like the average person who's going to interact with the application. That's why testing is so valuable is that you bring in people who haven't been involved in figuring out how to solve the problems so that so that they can reveal essentially assumptions that we may have made places where we weren't able to see with clarity what the right path forward was simply because of of the position of being the ones who are building it it makes total sense and it actually you know i've heard you say before that conversational experiences aren't what we typically think they are. And so yeah. from your perspective, what makes a truly conversational experience? Yeah, it's it's funny because conversational is, is a term that I hear a lot during user testing. So when people like an experience with one of our apps, they'll say, yeah, that was really conversational. But I don't think it means what, what you might think it means from the outside. So a lot of times 
when when people say, oh, this app is super conversational, they tend to equate that with it being like more casual and chatty and and um, somewhat less formal than you might expect. But I actually don't think that's what users are referring to when they describe something as conversational. I think what they mean is they feel comfortable that interacting with this application is intuitive. When a conversational application feels intuitive and it feels comfortable, I think what that means is that we've built the application in a way that the app is fulfilling its end of the bargain. So every time we have a conversation like you and I are doing here today, we're essentially playing according to a rule book. I say that every conversation is a contract between the people in the conversation. What's the contract? Well, you're you're essentially promising to pay attention, to listen, to try to understand what the other person's saying, and then give a timely and relevant response. Now, we're not aware of those rules as we're talking to another person until somebody breaks a rule. And that's because, you know, we all learned to be expert conversationalists before we could even walk around, right? We are all great at conversation um, as toddlers. These applications, when we talk about them being conversational, it has more to do with that gut feeling of, oh yeah, this played by the rules. This didn't force me down a specific path. This let me just answer the question and not think about what do I have to say in order to find the magic words to make this thing work? You're hitting on a key concept, which is letting people use their own words to, to communicate what they want and, and simply being able to understand that. And I, I, it's, it's, it's simple, and, but it's really profound to be able to have technology that's designed in a way that truly understands the intent of, of the speaker. And it's also about, you know, just behaving in a way that conforms to these rules of conversation that we all play by. Here's one of my favorite examples here. Most of us have had this kind of experience in, in a bad old IVR system uh, where the application comes back and it's, it's confirming some details with you. So it might be like, you know, a payment of $127 from your checking account ending in one, two, three, four. Is that right? If you, as the user, notice something that's wrong in what was just said, the rules of human conversation say the right thing for you to do is to offer that correction, yeah. right? So the right thing to do is say, oh no, it was $137. But in bad old IVR days, you might get, I'm sorry, was this information correct? Please say yes or no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please speak like a robot. It's, it's not the rules of conversation, right? That's the rules of bad old IVR. What you're supposed to do there is not just say, nope, I don't confirm that, and then say nothing else. That's distinctly unhelpful to the conversation, right? If you, if you view conversation as something cooperative, where the two people involved are trying to get to a certain outcome, then the helpful thing to do is to say, no, it's 137. So a truly conversational experience is one that is, number one, aware that that is the right thing to do, and that we, we build our applications to accommodate those things and allow people to say the things that just come naturally to them. 
That's a great example. And I'm, I, I do have one last question for you. Sure. We'd like you to, to look into the future, five to 10 years. And how do you think the industry is going to progress towards achieving more grounded, more natural, truly conversational experiences? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make predictions in two directions, although I think they're really very connected. The one thing that I think is going to take off is conversations that occur in more than one modality, conversations that can move seamlessly from voice to chat, maybe back to voice, without losing the thread of what you were talking about. Yep. People have been talking about this for 15 years now. Right. None of us ever experience it, right? No, never. It almost never happens. But I think that there is the, the number one, the technology, I think it's finally to a point where we can make that happen. But more importantly, we've got some sophistication in the way that we think about designing conversations that would actually enable that to happen. With human beings, we do this all the time. You know, it's like, oh, let me jot that down for you. Let me draw you a map. We can do it in human conversations. I think we may finally be getting there in these automated conversations. The other thing is um, truly some of the advanced dialogue technologies that we've got so that we can enable even more flexibility in these automated conversations. An advanced dialogue, for example, can allow you to take more, I guess I would say, nonlinear paths through a conversation. So being able to build an application where we know we need to collect these five pieces of information from the user in order to, say, make this reservation that they're trying to make. But to build it in such a way that we're able to take Anything from I want to make a reservation or I want to make a reservation at Main Street Cafe for four people on November 24th at 7 p.m. That we could handle in the automated conversation, either one of those equally gracefully. So I think some of the advanced dialogue technologies are finally going to allow us to do that in a way that is more streamlined and that is easier to, to maintain in a conversational application. Well, you know, you speak about a, a very exciting and hopefully not 10 years, but in the, in the very near future. Susan, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. I really appreciate you being the first interactions guest on the, the conversation. Well, you're welcome, Jim. That's all for this episode of The Conversation. In our next episode, I'll be speaking with Andrew Geisel, Director of AI and Data Science at Moderna. Andrew will discuss the digital first culture at this leading pharma company and how they leverage AI to streamline key systems and processes, including the development of one of the first COVID-19 vaccines. This episode of The Conversation podcast was produced by Interactions, a conversational AI company. I'm Jim Free signing off, and we'll see you next time.